Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome to another edition of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Adi Russell. And I'm Nikki Bandini. On this, who will be the champions of Europe edition of the pod? After their epic semi-final battles, who's got what it takes to win the Champions League? Liverpool or Madrid? Also, with three games to go, will Serie A be black and red or will Milan be wondering, what did they do to be so black and blue? And as the Conference League reaches the end of its inaugural season, was it worth it? Two epic battles in the semi-finals of the Champions League. I don't know where we should go with this. Let's take both of them into the context because were they the results you expected at the end of the day, either of you? I wouldn't say they were the results that are completely unexpected. The way we got there in both semi-finals was not what I expected, uh, is, is, is fair to say. The, the second leg of... Um, the, the, the game between Manchester City and Real Madrid was more what I was expecting for the entire tie. I always kind of felt that the first leg was a, a little bit of a, a, a red herring. That The way City started that just so tempestuously conditioned the rest of it. Real Madrid would have loved to... The idea that some people were floating afterwards is that Real Madrid loved to attack. I really don't. You know, they're a team that would prefer, especially in a European context, to sit deep, defend and hit on the counter but because Manchester City absolutely blew them away in the opening part of that and you know when Manchester City have their regrets of course they'll look back at the end of the second leg at the the, the Bernabeu but really that th- they had their chance in the first half of the first leg and if it's 3-4-0 then you know the whole rest of it is 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 completely different but I think that second leg at the Bernabeu I, d- I don't know about you Nicky but I thought you know, sometimes we can let how a match ends, not just the result, but how a match ends, condition how we thought the entire match was. And I, I, I did, I did think that until Riyad Mahrez scored, that they were being put through the ringer a bit. Yeah, Madrid created chances. Yeah. Madrid did not. I think there was definitely sort of a version of that story being told that that City had sort of cruised on through and look sure that they were one and up and, and you know when Jack Grealish comes on and, and could score and, and it could have been it could have been done but Madrid had chances I, I think that was probably the reason people felt like that is because of none of those chances felt like the chance if you know what I mean like they, they were, because they managed to miss them by quite yeah. a long way I mean there, there are a couple especially in the first half where Benzema being current Benzema mm. is normally gobbling those up yeah uh, which which I think was the the surprising thing Mm. I think even more surprising than you know for you people who are expecting, yeah, especially especially that where he just like walks into the ground between Diash and Laporte, and they end up well, they end up discussing it for the next twenty five <laughs> minutes, don't they? It's like uh, Diash is going, "No, you're meant to come to the ball," and he's, he's he, Laporte's going to him, "Where were you? Where were you?" And it's extraordinary to see like you know two of the premier cent- central defenders in Europe sort of discussing that, but. I'll tell you what, for Benzema, arguably he's got a good shout 
for the best assist or the most important assist of the season. Um, for, 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 the for, the, for the opener by yeah, Rodrigo. That was amazing. Assist it was, for, it was. Um, but is it, a, a, should we be talking about the coaches here? Because I think so. Yeah, because we're talking about, well, four, certainly three of the greatest, acknowledged greatest coaches in Europe at the moment, if not in the world in these semi-finals. And I think we should give a shout out to Unai Emery as well. We'll come on to Unai Emery. As we started with Man City um, uh, versus Real Madrid, or the other way around, if you prefer, Ancelotti versus Pep Guardiola. Ancelotti, we talk about him regularly. Do we give him the respect, Nicky? I think we absolutely don't. But I've thought this for a while. This isn't a new opinion for me. I actually remember doing um, a live uh, a live show a little while ago um, where that came up where someone was asking... Uh, so a panel of us on stage asking, "Is Jurgen Klopp the greatest manager in you know in the world?" And I was saying, "Well, you can make a case for Jurgen Klopp, but I mean, I can also make a case for Carlo Ancelotti because Carlo Ancelotti at that point has already won the league in Germany, in Italy, in England. Now he's also won the league in Spain. He's won three Champions Leagues already, which no one has done before. I feel like when you look at his achievements in football." The idea that he shouldn't be considered in the very top echelon is I, the idea that anyone wouldn't consider him there, I find absurd, actually. And I, and I think he hasn't, by a lot of people, been considered in that echelon. I think there's this sort of tendency to view him, perhaps in part because his domestic trophy hall, despite winning in different countries, hasn't been as big as it could have been, right? Because mm. like, he could have won more at Milan, because he could have won more at Madrid, because he could have won... Um, a second trophy and a second Bundesliga trophy. There's been this sort of tendency to view him as this sort of avuncular, almost sort of unlikely figure who who just comes along and wins the Champions League. Which you know, first of all, stop and consider that for a minute because there's a lot of managers who don't do that, by the way. Um, but but second of all, I think it's it's just sort of you know odd to me like how dismissive people have been for a long time about his sort of tactical chops just because he has this laid back demeanor and the you know this is not acting shouldn't be new information to anyone he comes up with the christmas tree formation at milan that propels them to the champions league uh to a champions league trophy that was then a model that was broadly copied all over europe mm. a lot and sure it's been twisted and turned and become different things since because that's what happens in football people are always innovating but so it's not like he's never done anything tactically innovative and i also think this sort of um easy to sort of um i don't know easy to dismiss way because he's a bit more laid back um especially when you contrast it and it was such a perfect contrast in in this semi final with pep guardiola who's obsessive who wants to be on top of every detail who can't contain himself in the dugout while carlo stands there with one eyebrow raised one goal down in 60 <laughs> seconds left going you know it's 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 such a visual contrast but i think people miss that that's that that's part of it that is part of it. It is the projection's huge, isn't it? I mean, we've got a question here from uh, Whiskey Football Club on Instagram. It says, "Just how underrated is Carlo Ancelotti?" It's ludicrous that he should be overrated, mm. uh, underrated. Sorry, when you look at that 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 list of honours. But I, I do feel with head coaches, because we've got this sort of cult of the coach. It's it's like we need them to underline their philosophy to us. Yeah. And he, like in a very different way, a previous Real Madrid coach, Zinedine Zidane, Zidane never wanted to discuss tactics. So it led to, oh, well, he hasn't got any tactics. He just like whispers to the players. Mm -hmm. But what you were saying about the Christmas tree, the thing he did at PSG actually, where he reconvened that 4 4 2 and he got the best out of Pastore by using him rather than behind the front two as a kind of left winger who came inside. All of that sort of good stuff. He's got so many ideas. And every time he goes to a club, like when he got to Napoli, we've talked about this on here before. When he went to Napoli, he's like, right, what did I do wrong at Bayern Munich? And how could I change that? Big coaches don't look at football like that. They go, how can I, like, if it's not going right, I need to go back for what, to what worked for me before. Not how can I change? Mm -hmm. How has football changed? They don't look at, at football like that. I think the interesting thing... a great example, by the way, because I, I think Napoli, he didn't do that well in the league and that was a bit of a disappointment in the end. But, but he got them to the next level in the Champions League. Right, the two games against Liverpool yeah. in the Champions League that they played, he, he, out, he outmaneuvered Klopp in both those games, as I recall it. That's mm. definitely the impression I came away with. With worse players. He had a worse squad than Liverpool had and yet Napoli played better football in those games. But you know when we talk about mentality and I think particularly 
in reference to to this and the way this ended between Real Madrid and Manchester City. It is quite interesting, isn't it, with Guardiola, who's gone a long time now without winning the Champions League, as, as, as we've underlined. He looks really antsy well, on, 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 the, on the touchline, doesn't he? This is really important, what you said, because Nicky said a moment ago about Angelotti's raised eyebrow. It, it, it's unscrutable, inscrutable. Mm. I don't know what that raised eyebrow actually means. However, with Pep Guardiola, you know when things aren't going right because he's jumping up and down. and Rubbing his head really hard. I wonder whether that is part of why people don't rate Angelotti on the same level as the greatest And and I actually think that's one of his strengths because he said this before, you know, Madrid... Well, he's been there. It's not just even in the Champions League, but there's been a few. There's been a few in the league of, of really late come, comebacks this season. Mm. And he said before this thing about 60 seconds is a long time in football. And I think that that projection of outward sort of, I don't even know if calm's the right word, just consistency of just, do you know, there's a, I always come back to this because it sort of fascinated me at the time when I was told it, probably this information isn't even in date anymore and I should go and speak to someone who knows about it to, to get more detail but I I had a friend who's very interested in baseball who talked to me about um, when they sort of went into the statistics to try and find out if there's such a thing as a clutch player Mm. they found that actually you didn't see even amongst the players who've won all these things you didn't see evidence of much if any players raising their game in big uh, key moments but you saw some players who dropped off so really the idea of clutch, of being someone who can handle the big situations came down to just being consistent. Mm. It's just maintaining your level when you're under yeah. pressure. And I think Ancelotti projects that. Ancelotti projects whatever's happening, I'm here and I'm doing what I do. And I think that to high level sort of footballers who are all capable of extraordinary things, which Madrid is jam-packed with, that calm projection is what you need sometimes. And and I wonder for all Pep's undoubted brilliance, which he is brilliant and I would never diminish what Pep Guardiola is as a coach but I wonder if sometimes his players could do with a bit of that as well Yeah I, I sometimes think it is about the, the baggage you take with you uh, and that's certainly what it is in the in, in, in the big occasion. It does feel like all this talk about, it, clearly in his own passive aggressive way Guardiola has been very annoyed by the implication that he does tactically crazy stuff mm-hmm. in the big moment, you know. And I think it's right that journalists ask him about it. I think it's right that he has to address it. But by trying to make a joke of it, it wasn't a joke at, at all. Whereas I think it's Ancelotti's demeanour when he was asked several weeks ago when Real Madrid are miles away at the top of the league before they've actually clinched the league title as they did last weekend by beating Espanyol, as they did between the two legs is um, one of the journalists on, on the normal Madrid beat said, um, well, you know, you can't, you can't lose the league from here, can you? And he said, well, you can't lose a Champions League by when you're 3-0 up at half time, can you? <laughs> and I, I think the fact that he brought that up mm-hmm. and felt relaxed about it, like the past is the past. You know, you can't change what's gone, but you can change the future. Mm-hmm. And to, to have that, that's genuine cool, isn't it? That's genuine clarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, we won't anticipate uh, what's going to happen in the final. Let's leave that to a subsequent OTC. Yeah. But we should talk about Unai Emery now. He faced Jurgen Klopp. And talk about underrated coaches. He manages to get Villarreal, this tiny little place in uh, in the eastern part of Spain to the Champions League semi-final for the second time ever and talk about underrated coaches. If there's anybody who's underrated in Europe, it's got to be him, hasn't it? And he's good at leaving the past in the past as well, just like Ancelotti. You know, they're not comparable in a, a, a lot of ways. I mean, Emery's more in the Guardiola mould, isn't he? Not in the playing the same sort of football, but he's a very details-orientated coach. I mean, something that you said to me, Nicky, about Carlo Ancelotti that really stuck with me. He's one of these rare coaches that treats the players like adults. You know, he's not that prescriptive. Emery's the opposite of that, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because of course, as an Arsenal fan, I sort of have this sort of conflicted personal feeling about Emery because of course, there was a lot of seeing him in the Champions League final, oh, he didn't get given a fair rubber Arsenal. I think you can say that things weren't really heading in the right direction for him at Arsenal, but that doesn't take away from him as a coach because 
Ancelotti, we've just talked about, has had some jobs where it didn't really work out for him as well. You can be a great coach and have different settings. But that's a very Italian view, if if you don't mind me saying so, yeah, of things, maybe. isn't it? Yeah. That, that like getting sacked is part of being a coach. Yeah. Whereas still in England, being sacked is kind of like, a, it's, it's like a, a, a red cross against you, isn't it? It's just like a personal failing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, rather than something that's part of a coach's natural life cycle. Exactly, and and I think that's really important. I think it's important to say about Ancelotti, like, and 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 I think that different settings suit different coaches better or worse. And I think, and with Ancelotti, I think in the end, it, maybe he isn't built for a relegation dogfight. Maybe he's never going to be the coach you should be bringing in to do that. But he knows how to handle these grand settings with calm and and sort of um, confidence that that few could do. I think Emery has got. A different persona to him. I think he, I think he almost sort of fits better in that slightly underdog role of of sort of understanding the limitations and and possibilities of his squad. And I think over two legs, he nearly got it right against Liverpool. He did. You know, he got so much criticism in that first leg for coming and and not playing with any ambition. But then for forty five minutes in that second leg, he got VRL. You know, stop and look at the players who are in that team, Francois Coquelin, and and these are not guys who would get anywhere close to Liverpool starting eleven. They're not, they're not close to it, and mm. yet they really rocked Liverpool. And if it wasn't for, and I don't want to throw him under the bus either, but really because he has had a good tournament, but Rudy's chaotic second half. Who knows what happens in that second half if, if it isn't for a goalkeeper having one of the sort of. I think one of the worst European performances since Loris Carrius at Liverpool. It's funny. I think he's kind of, Rui is kind of drawn fire actually from, from mm, Emery because I, I think you're right. First half, he gets it completely right. In the away leg, it's mostly right. It's just, they're Liverpool. So they beat you 2-0 instead of If of, they got of through that leg at 1-0, it would be a completely different story, I think. Exactly. And they, they played the first half they needed to against Liverpool because... I mean, I've mentioned this on the ramble. I said beforehand, they've got to play the same first half that they did in the first leg against Bayern. Not for a minute did I think they'd be capable of doing it. Mm. And they did do it. But their luck ran out because it was clear from about the 30th, 35th minute that Gerard Moreno could not go on anymore. They'd got a really good half out of him. They should have called it quits there because they weren't good enough without the ball in the second half. They didn't have that out ball because he couldn't move, really. And he's the one who not only holds it up, he plays in people uh, around him. That's why you get like Francis Coquelin coming into the box, yeah. for example, or, or Etienne Caput. They needed to change it about then. And I think Rui is a convenient fall guy. I think it's obvious that they run out of gas. Like they didn't keep up the pace in the second half against Bayern, just like they didn't against Liverpool. But they found a way to sit and soak better and they found a way mm. to counter-attack better. And that, that's what they couldn't find about Liverpool. Of course, part of that is Liverpool's great quality as well. But... Of course, if it had been a different story altogether, I wouldn't have been able to end this segment by saying it feels like 2018 all over again. Rodrigo Lavacaba Militao se viene contra Grilich. Ahí está Carvajal. Pal Madrid, finales del partido, el centro. ¡No! So at the top of Serie A, a battle between the two Milan clubs. Um, Milan are trying to win their first Serie A since, unbelievably, 2010 to 2011. But they've been off at the pace for a few years now. So that won't come as a surprise to you. Given that, though, can they hold off the rearguard action from Inter? I, it's very hard to to feel confident of anything in this Serie A title race. Everyone has taken turns to... To, to blow their chance sort of one at a time. Um, I think this last, the last round of games last weekend was the first time since early January that all three of the top three teams have won on the same weekend. So wow. that gives you some indication of, of how things have been going. And of course, it, it's only a minute ago that, that Inter were in the, the, the driving seat. They had that game in hand against Bologna that they've been holding on to for a very long time. Holding on to, it wasn't their choice to hold on to it, but there was a game that they had in, in hand for a long time. And, and everyone expected them to win that. And then you get... Um, you know, yeah, Jonovic Radu, the, the backup goalkeeper, comes off the well, comes off the bench, starts a game to give Handanovic a rest. He's having some back problems, has a swing and a miss at a ball in the area, and suddenly Inter lose to Bologna, and and the whole story's been turned on its head. Milan are in first place, and I think it's just impossible not to look at this weekend. So I mean, 
bears saying that all of their games remaining are harder than Inter's on paper. They've got three top half teams. Inter have got three bottom half teams. But this weekend in particular, they play Hellas Verona. Now, Hellas Verona have this history with Milan um, going back decades and decades because in 1973, I think it was, and we're going to 1990, they were the team that effectively denied Milan the league title. So in the first instance, it's literally the last day of the season. Milan going to um, into the last game against Verona, top of the table with Lazio and Juventus both a point behind them and um, completely blow it against Verona. They were 3-0 down, I think, by half time, ended up losing 5-3. Uh, Lazio also didn't, when in fact it was a certain point where it looked like you were going to have Lazio and Roma both drawing, Lazio and Juventus both drawing, and it was going to be a three-way tie, which would have at that time required a big playoff to unpick it, oh, which would have amazing. been incredible. But instead Juventus ended up um, winning against Roma. Um, and then in 1990, it was the penultimate round of games. Um, and we're talking about um, an Inigosaki side that's just come off a, a winning the semi-final of the European Cup. It's about to go and win the European Cup, but blows its lines against Verona again. So there's this headline, Fatal Verona, that gets brought up again and again and again. Verona is fatal to, to, to Milan. And it's almost, funnily enough as well, I think it's almost sort of perfect or would be perfect in that narrative that you've gone first time it was the last day of the season, second time it was the penultimate day of the season. Now they're facing them three games from the end of the season. So is it going to repeat itself is is certainly this this sort of fascinating narrative. That... Two households, both alike in dignity. <laughs> you know that in fear of Rome, where we lay our seat. I couldn't resist that one. I imagine. But Inter a game for back-to-back titles. Mm. They're 20th, it will be, in um, Serie A, incredibly. Uh, but Milan seems to have the harder run into the last three, to the end of the season with their last three games. They're playing teams who were mm. mid-table, let's yeah. say, pretty much, but um, Inter playing teams that are even lower than that in the league. Does that make sense, though? Does yeah. it make sense that Inter have got the advantage in that respect? The problem is you you, know, you, you just don't know with teams, do you? Because being where you are in top half or bottom half doesn't necessarily mean a lot um, in and of itself because teams sometimes have more to play for um, and some teams are just sort of indifferent um, mindsets, even if they don't have things to play for. But I think Cagliari are the, the case in point for Inter, aren't they? Yeah. They've got to go there. Well, Cagliari are very uh, much... And, and they'll need to win, won't they? In the relegation fight. Yeah. And, and for instance, last week, uh, Milan played Fiorentina. And Fiorentina are a top-half team who, you know, as I was saying, maybe not quite on the beach yet, but perhaps they've sort of started packing their bag to go. You know, they they, they, they weren't really there. And <laughs> it was a, yeah. a goalkeeping error that, that gifted Milan that win again. And, mm. and it was definitely not the Fiorentina they would have played a month ago, I think. Whereas Verona under Igor Tudor have been very, very difficult for people to beat and on a pretty good run of results, even though they're currently ninth. So they're not really going anywhere. But indications are they're still playing out this end of the season. They're still, again, winning games. So you just don't know really, I think, with any of these matches until until you get to the the game itself. And again, Bologna is a great case in point because actually Bologna have taken points off both Milan and Inter in the last few weeks. And Bologna perhaps wouldn't be fighting this hard, but Sinisa Mihailovic um, is, is, is back in, in hospital fighting leukaemia again, which he said this sort of ongoing fight with. And you can just see in that team that the whole team who went to celebrate the win over Inter underneath his hospital window is just doing everything they can to, to, to play for him. And so I think when it comes to the end of the season, every game is a potential banana skin. And especially because in the end, I have, I've loved this title race. I think it's been the most enjoyable title race in Italy for a long time. But I think that part of the reason it's so enjoyable is because all of these teams are quite flawed. Uh, not least because um, I suppose you expect more from a manager with the name Inzaghi uh, <laughs> at the back of it. You know, he, he arguably is struggling this season. And if they don't win the title... Will he still be there? Well, I, I, I think it's quite a difficult question, really, isn't it? Because mm. I think globally, you look at the season and you think he's, he's put out a lot of fires. It's, yeah. it's not the job that he signed up for. Of course, he was already succeeding Antonio Conte. He knew he was losing Hakimi, but then he lost Lukaku. After they sit, sat down, talked about the future, all of that, all of a sudden, he's without his like great centre forward from last season. I think he's covered that very well with Edin Dzeko, or I should say more recently with a combination of Edin Dzeko and Alexis Sanchez, who's 
coming off the bench as if he's been fed on raw meat. You know, you're getting a few little moments out of him, aren't you? Even if he's not peak Alexis Sanchez. I, I guess the thing is, Nicky, you're talking about the inconsistency of these teams. When Inter are on it, they look comfortably the best team in, mm-hmm. in, in, in Serie A, I think. But now it's not in their hands. Yeah, Inter have the best team in Serie A, I think. And, and in particular, there's a few players who've really stood out. I think Ivan Perisic... He's getting up in years, but he's been brilliant the last few weeks. He's been so, so good. Marcelo Brozovic is, I think, the best central midfielder in Serie A and probably still doesn't get enough credit um, internationally as, as I think he's he's worth. Um, and Altaro is very capable of being a brilliant centre forward, although he's very hot and cold. Um, Milan is still a team of kids. You know, the Rafael Leal, I think he's brilliant, is going to be brilliant, but he's still um, not as consistent as you want. Even at the back, players like Tamori, who I think has come on in leaps and bounds, they're still growing. But the big question that's sort of been put to Inzaghi, which keeps coming up and I think is going to haunt him if they don't do it, is are we back to Pazza Inter, to crazy Inter? Because mm. Antonio Conte's big thing was he came in and said, we're going to not be crazy Inter, we're going to be normal Inter, we're going to be boring Inter and we're just going to win. And that's what he did, right? Once Inter got their noses in front under Conte, you just felt like, well, this is done. Like it's, And you're right, Andy, like this Inter team is weaker. They, they, they sold the most single most important player from their team last season mm. in Lukaku and Takimi. But I think that it's really sort of hard to know how to judge Inzaghi. And Inzaghi fired back at that that exact comment this last week because he said, you know, it's 11 years, probably it's 11 or 12, but it's around a decade since we've been, since we won the Supercoppa. I won the Supercoppa. It's the same amount of time based since we've been in the Coppa Italia final. We're in the Coppa Italia final. It's that amount of time again since we've been to the last 16 of the Champions League. We went to the last 16 of the Champions League. How are you going to tell me that this season is a failure just because we don't win the league title? And, I think that's a valid point, but I also think I look at this Inter team, there's talk of again needing to cut the budget because of the, the owners' venture constraints this summer, and it feels like this is a window closing for them that, already, which that, is quite tough. Yeah, and the, that's the very question that Alex has been sending us on Instagram, asking whether this Inter team needs to sell more players, actually, to be the super club that they aspire to be. And, yeah, I think it's a really difficult time for them, clearly. I mean, their whole project has been completely sort of shifted by the financial realities of China and the Chinese government and what was required of, of their ownership group, Sinning, who obviously invested a lot of money in, into winning that first title. But what's the financial reality of Milan? I mean, Alex goes on to ask about the InvestCorp takeover. I mean, how much are they actually going to put in? We know how much they're going to spend buying the club, but how much are they going to actually put in? I think that's a... a TBD, but I think the level of investment into the club certainly suggests that they are willing to spend. And if they do, then look, if you ask me right now, I'd probably still say that Juventus are the favourites to win the league again next season. But I think Milan's trajectory feels, especially when you look again at, yeah, they're going to sell Frank Kessier, they're going to lose Frank Kessier this summer to Barcelona. But the amount of young quality in that squad, if you throw some money into it as well, because there are big gaps in that team, they haven't got a centre forward really other than Olivier Giroud who's who's a, a proper number nine and, and Giroud has been magnificent in the big games for them but still he's he's not at the the sort of the the beginning of his career is he um I think they a bit of investment into that young group and the work that Pioli's been doing I think that team really could have huge upsides in the next year or two if if that is what the plans are but yeah we'll find out when they when they get in, basically. But there's more expected of uh, Inter, isn't there? If Milan don't win the title, uh, people will um, imagine in Italy say, well done, nice try and everything. But if uh, Inzaghi doesn't win the title with Inter, then he's more likely to get the stick that he feels is unfair. Yeah, well, this is the interesting thing because Inzaghi sort of, as part of that same discourse I was just talking about, he said, none of you said that we were supposed to win the league at the start of the season. We weren't the favourites. And he's right. But the problem is, Juventus were the team that was supposed to beat them to the league title. No one in Italy was saying Milan are going yeah, to finish ahead yeah. of you. So when it's your neighbour and they're the team that was supposed to be behind you in the development, it's he's 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 halfway right, but he's also really wrong, if you see what I mean. Yeah, it's Saint Interingham's Day. No, it doesn't work. Does it? <laughs> it doesn't work. I tried. Desperation. Oh my word. Sansone will tap it in. Andre Radu, the standing keeper has had a howler and has that cost into the Scudetto
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Let's talk about something completely different now because um, many OTC uh, listeners at the beginning of the season might have been looking forward to what we call uh, a different league in Europe, a different league tournament in Europe, the Europa Conference League in any case, in its inaugural year, it was expected to be the tournament that would allow the also-rans to feature, as it were, but it does seem towards the end of the season that it's some of the usual suspects who are in the final stages of this uh, Europa Conference League. How did that happen? And it wasn't supposed to happen, was it? I don't know. I think I think maybe it was. <laughs> I think maybe it was because, of course, it was always sold to us as, you know, this is meant to get um, a wider representation from the football family. So I think the way we look at it, especially when it's got the word conference involved, which as far as football's concerned in England, has a particular ring to it. I think it's fair to say. We're we're it's imagining less. it's less yeah. the ring in yeah. England yeah. is it's less than yeah whatever else yeah yeah I think I think we're 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 imagining um, you know Norwegian clubs versus <laughs> Polish clubs uh, and and, and yes. stuff like that but what this has turned out to be is like a European version of the League Cup in that early on and especially when it's a a new competition and a lot has been made of Brendan Rodgers who of course left City and now in the semi-finals as, as we're, we're recording a lot has been made of him like just not knowing that they fell down to the the, the conference league and it's been seen as a slight on the competition mm. a diss I mean he's really just used to the fact that if you don't finish in the top two in the, the groups in the in the Europa League you're out of Europe Mm-hmm. I, I think it's really quite unfair on Brendan Rodgers to say he disrespected it. And, but I think it's probably like the League Cup here in England in that like, the, the big teams treat it with you know a bit of half interest until they until... get to the back end and there's a genuine possibility. And you look at these, these semi-finalists and what they've done, these are all clubs of incredible European stock, Don. And it shows... Two European titles, Marseille, uh, how many? Four European titles and Roma and Leicester, of course, we know their pedigree as well. But I know you have a theory on this, Nicky. Uh, was it Nicky or was it Andy that we spoke to earlier on before we started the uh, OTC that actually this is how it was meant to be? Otherwise, those smaller clubs who don't have any European titles 
wouldn't be taken seriously when they come up against the likes of Feyenoord or Roma or Leicester? Well, I, was, I, I think my thought was just if they'd done the Conference League without these teams, like if you did the Conference League without Leicester and without Roma, if, if Bodo Glimp don't get to beat Roma 6-1 in the group stage, no one in the rest of Europe is paying attention to Bodo Glimt. So yeah. the fact is that because these teams yeah. are in this competition, it's actually what makes it a big event for, or, or can be part of what makes it a big event for those teams. Now, maybe that still doesn't mean it's right. Maybe you still would be better off just to have a competition where Bodo Glimt, who are spectacularly good at times this competition, like really genuinely brilliant, maybe it would be better just to not have Roma in it and then they could actually have a trophy at the end of it. But I think it's fair to say that for instance, you know, we're recording this in England, so this isn't even in Italy. But a lot of people in England who are not in Italy or in Norway saw that and thought, wow, that's um, an incredible result. And that's mm. eye-opening. And wow, who are Bodo Glimp? Let's go and call up Lars and, and get him to tell us about <laughs> their, their, their <laughs> As team. we always do. Also, let's check out their coach as well, because yeah. how on earth did he pull one over Jose Mourinho? Exactly, exactly. So I think it's it's a it's a complicated one. But I think also... You know, this is the first edition. And by the way, Jose Mourinho is all in on winning this competition. Roma are all in on winning this competition. And I think that even though it's the third competition in Europe, it would be celebrated certainly in Rome, like something that was a huge deal. The, the level um, of public interest there is amazing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's quite astonishing when you think they were in a Champions League semi-final not, not that long ago. Mm. Um, but yes, I think that's that's its own narrative. I think people in Rome have really bought into this Jose idea of glory and, and Europe and, and all of that. But but, you know, say it is Roma or, or even Leicester or, or any of the other clubs that are left in it that win. And then in two or three years time, someone who isn't one of these bigger name clubs in Europe does go and win it. So, you know, say it's Randers go and win it. Mm. Um, it adds more prestige to it, doesn't it? Mm. In some ways, you know, they've won a competition that, that was won by these clubs. So there are two sides to it. There are two sides to it. I think um, I'm not even sort of particularly arguing that that this is right. I'm just sort of saying that that's an argument for it. And you're right. There needs to be that mix of the two sides of European football culture for people to validate it, for people to mm. want to watch it. And as well as, you know, the sense that in European football, you want to be the best you can be and you want to come up against the, the best that you can. I think if it was like, say, how we initially thought it might roll out, where if you excluded teams from the top eight, in the UEFA coefficient. I, I agree, Nikki. I, I don't think it's anywhere near as exciting. I, I think it, it ghettoises it a little bit. And, you know, I think it takes it away from it being a reward. I mean, the fact that Bodo Glimt have been able to play Roma four times this season mm. as, well, as well. And then he lost to them once, by the way. Yeah, to, to the fourth four attempt to yeah. beat them as, yeah. as, as well. It's amazing. Not that that stopped... Jose and Roma from absolutely showboating, <laughs> yes. by the way, after 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 beating the, you know, not as strong as they were at the start of season champions of Norway. But I think really, you look at this a bit like the Nations League. I know we're all happy to put in the boot on UEFA and mainly FIFA when uh, when when they get it wrong. But I think in terms of competition organization, there are a few hits for UEFA recently. The Nations League, adding meaning to the previously meaningless. And now this. I think you have to acknowledge the fact that, for whatever the reasons, you know, football has become, it has become more exclusive. You know, the elite clubs have, have, have taken over a lot of the, 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 the top That's of the game. That's the question mark with this, isn't it? Because your comparison with, uh, let's say, a League Cup tournament, mm. I think is a good one. If it was, you know, 40 years ago or 30 years ago, maybe mm. even 20 years ago. Uh, and I'm sorry to bring this up. I am so sorry to bring this up, Nicky. But, you know, when Don Rogers and Swindon Town pulled one over Arsenal. <laughs> however, He's not sorry, is he? <laughs> not really. Look at the tears rolling down my eyes. He's been welling that up for a year and a half. <laughs> I've been saving up now. No, but on a serious note, do we... Can you ever imagine in this new conference uh, league tournament that a Bode Glimt from Norway would take on, let's say, a Leicester City, um, who, let's not forget, got into, was it the quarterfinals in 2017 in the Champions League? Can you imagine them being, uh, Bode Glimt beating them in the final of the Conference League anytime well, soon? They, I they, can't. They got, I can't to, see they got to the quarterfinals. Mm -hmm. that, you yeah. know, they, 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 they beat Roma. 
with something to spare. They nearly beat Roma twice. Roma needed an equaliser in the group stage, didn't mm-hmm. they, at the Olympico, right at the end yeah. to, to get that draw in Rome. But they, they beat Celtic twice as, as well, another really established European club. But just because they haven't got the whole way, I think it's easy to look at the last four and say, oh, well, these teams have have colonised it. You, you know, you, you can't talk about a trend when it's only one season, I, can you? I mean, to talk about Bodo specifically, what's stopped them from perhaps even having a chance to win this whole thing is probably less the reality of who they're playing against than the reality of the Norwegian sort of season schedule and the players they sold. Mm. The team that beat Roma then sort of had a full asset stripping in its off-season and still went and beat Roma again in the first leg. So I think, yeah, they could have beaten anyone the way they were they were in the group So stage. next season, do you hope for better from the Conference League then? You know what I hope for next season? I hope for a stadium that's a bit bigger for the final. Because remember, it's, it's, it's great again that somewhere different gets to host a European final in Tirana. But And it's not just because it's going to be underlined, of course, because of the sort of clubs that are in the semifinals. But having a UEFA club competition final that's got a, a, a 21, 22,000 capacity final, especially when you take away the sponsors' tickets, it's mm-hmm. not ideal. I've thought for a long time that the stadiums in which they have the Europa League final are too small. And this just underlines it. Let the people in. Indeed. And a reminder that you can tweet us at any time during the course of the week at Football Ramble, at Dotton Adibayo, at Andy Brassel, and at Nikki Bandini. And this is a great question, actually. You might have to explain the context of this because I think I missed the celebrations. But this is from Danny, who says, What's the story behind um, Travis Sports League title win? And boy, do they look like they know how to celebrate. What's yeah, the celebration? It's, it's been a, a, a long festival of celebrating in Trabzon. And the good thing is, because they've been so far ahead at the top of the league, a, a bit like Real Madrid on the Black Sea, if if you like, Real Madrid, Black Sea branch, that they have had time to build this up, to prepare it, to, you know, grasp the moment that, you know, this is going to be where we're really going to let loose and celebrate their first title since 1984. And in that time, they've, between now and back then they've come close they've signed some big players they've spent some money on wages it's never quite got them there and is such a passionately followed club Trabs on Spore a couple of things have gone right for them firstly and we can't really shy away from this the big Istanbul clubs have been crap this season uh, and you know they've they've not played well um, they've not team built well um Fenerbahce, like Galatasaray. Fenerbahce, Galatasaray, uh, um will change coach as well mid-season, which has been an indication of how they've gone. Now, Fenerbahce have recovered a bit in, in recent weeks. It's a bit too late to challenge for the title, but it looks like they're going to make the Champions League qualifiers. Um, and, and Trabzon have been really consistent. Now, part of that has been that they've got some really good experienced players in. Now, Bruno, Bruno Perez is there. Uh, Marek Hamzik has um, come back mm. after that little, uh, I, I suppose, like the French would call it, pige at um, uh, uh, Gothenburg. And he's been, he's been really important and influential for them uh, this season. They made the right signings in January as well. Edin Vizca, who knows the Turkish League really well, who's a title winner, with uh, Bajek Shir, that, that was really important for them as, as as well. And fortunately for them, when they've had the nerves in recent weeks, they drew like, I think, four out of the last five. It was a draw against uh, um, Siversport that got them over the line. Uh, th- th- they were far enough in front for it not to really matter. So that was that was important to them. I'm really interested to see how they get on in the, in, the, in the Champions League. You haven't told us anything about the celebrations. I th- it was mad. <laughs> it was abs- inside, outside the stadium, in the city, everywhere. Yeah, and the players are in the middle of it somewhere. You, you need the entire city <laughs> and there's, there's to a, celebrate. There's a, whole, actually, there's a whole light show as yeah. well. But yeah, well, yeah, what an incredible denouement to Marek Hamzik's European he career. speaking French. Mm. Qu'est-ce que c'est le pige Je comprends le dénouement, mais le pige, qu'est-ce que c'est? It's, it's, it's like Pardon. a little, it's like it's like a little temporary post. Okay, okay. Sorry, Nikki. I just, I think it always seems like Turkey has the most enthusiastic title celebrations. I'm forgetting who it was who had the flotilla of boats 
that was extraordinary. Ooh, gosh, yeah. That was Bajiktash. Was that Bajiktash? Because the, the stadium is right on the Bosphorus. Mm. Mm. So so yeah. you, you could you could potentially jump off the top of the main stand in, in, in into the river or you onto know, the boat. Lord Byron. You would have landed there. on a boat because there was no free space between the boats. There was just no water that wasn't just <laughs> occupied by a boat. I don't know how they did it. It's incredible. <laughs> and Lord Byron had a gammy leg when he swam it as well. Anyway, uh, we're looking for a, what? <laughs> I have to bring in a literary reference, <laughs> otherwise it doesn't make sense to explain to people. It's, as, Jimmy Nails, as Jimmy Nail would say, is a big river, so he's done a good job there, Lord <laughs> Byron. A good job indeed. Now, we want a, if you have got one, a game of the week from each of you. Um, do you want to, who wants to go first? I'll, I'll pick up from there. She's yeah. funny. So I think Milan and Verona could be game of the week, but I've, I've gone for one from the other end of the, the Serie table. And it's funny because it's Salernitana against um, Cagliari. Um, which I'll get into why it's game of the week in a second, but I was just looking at um, the maps earlier and somehow by accident I, I'd managed to sort of get Google Maps to give me directions from Salernitana, from Salerno, in fact, the, 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 the city where they're based, to um, Cagliari. Now Cagliari's in Sardinia, so there's, there's you know, ocean between them. And Google Maps just had a go at it anyway and said you could walk there in a day. And I just thought, Maybe that's the answer. Byron and his gummy leg could have swum it in a day. That would be ambitious. Um, but listen, Salernitana are pulling off one of sort of the great escapes of, of recent Serie A past. They've been bottom of the table for almost the entire season, but they've taken 10 points from the last four games. They've got Davide Nicola in charge, who some people might remember pulled off one of Serie A's greatest ever escapes like Crotone a few years ago, where he took a team that was on... 14 points I think after 29 games and got them to safety and then did a sort of personal Giro d'Italia cycling the country Great shoe throwing the other week as well Yes yes had a hilarious moment um, in, What were those George Bush I, who shoe were they throws? playing? No I'm trying to think which game it was they were playing but yes they were it's Against Fiorentina where he had, was, he had yeah. that meltdown when they weren't defending properly and yeah. he took off one of his trainers and That's like, what, they do. That's what happened to George it. W. Bush not remember No because George Bush had one thrown at him by yeah. someone in the crowd yeah. This was yeah, that's right, this was the that's manager. Right. And he didn't throw it at the players, but he he threw it in sort of fury down the touchline. Then went and picked it up, and there's this great visual of him sort of clutching it and just menacing his players. <laughs> it worked. They won the game. He's threatening yeah. them with the slipper, <laughs> basically <laughs> around um, their head rather than the bottom. <laughs> but yeah, they've gone from bottom of the table to currently. Um, I think they are two points behind Cagliari. I should probably double check that before coming on. But yes, you know, there's basically three teams fighting for one spot realistically Venezia technically could as well but I think Venezia are gone now three teams fighting for 17th spot which is um, Genoa Cagliari and Salernitana so Cagliari are the team currently in 17th Salernitana are behind them in 18th and so if Salernitana win and it's at the Arecchi which is their home stadium which is an incredibly passionate um, little stadium really sort of um, brilliant atmospheres there all season they could vault Cagliari and get out of the relegation zone which would be pretty extraordinary given that they've been bottom of the table for basically the whole season that is amazing isn't it yeah if it happened by the way uh, julius caesar tried to swim the tiber no it's true Uh, if you believe shakespeare cassius says he tried to swim it and then he had to gasp and help uh, ask cassius to help him what what did he eat after the swim Good question. <laughs> you must know that, Nikki. What should we eat? I with don't this know one? what Julius Caesar had. I was thinking about what, what you could have for this game, and I think when I think about Salerno, when I think about uh, Sardinia or Cagliari, I think clams. So you know, in in Salerno, you might have them with spaghetti. In um, Cagliari, you might have them with fregola, which is like this sort of Italian, um, similar to couscous, but um, mm. made with pasta. And yeah, that's. A little bit of that with some, I don't know, some just very simple, probably with some garlic and some. I don't know about some... wait, waiting for the game. I'm getting a few lunch ideas here. <laughs> well, I was thinking if it's Sardinia, it's got to be sardines. Um, do you want to save me there? Do you want to save me there? I, I think that is what you would call a Pinterest pause. <laughs> I apologise. Yeah, you've got a game of the week as well. You know, you know what? I, I, normally, I would go for Atletico Madrid versus Real Madrid, Why not? especially as Atletico need to win it to secure their Champions League place. Mm-hmm. They've been poor Nick at the moment. And because, of course, they've refused to give Real Madrid a guard of honour onto the pitch. They put out this incredible statement, which has been... I mean, there are a few greater things, I think, than uh, Google Translate translations <laughs> of um, uh, overseas football club statements. The Irish Daily Mirror 
um, interpreted the Atletico statement thus. Some want to turn what was born as a gesture of recognition of the champion into a public toll that must be paid by their rivals, also impregnated with the aroma of humiliation. Uh, we like that. And Diego Simeone is not going to be impregnated with the aroma of humiliation, <laughs> is it? But um, in fact, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to wait that long. Let's go Saturday night. Let's go 6 p.m. Let's go possibly the next title winner in Europe. Mm. Porto are going to Benfica at 6 p.m. It's on BT Sport here in the UK, I think. And a point will do it for Porto. We'll make them mathematically champions. Best team in Portugal. They deserve it. They've seen off a very, very good sporting side. Now, of course, Benfica, who can no longer qualify for the Champions League, automatically they'll have to go in the qualifiers where we think Fenerbahce are going. Mm. Um, uh, when we fast forward to July or... Um, you know, it will be July when it with the World, World, World Cup and whatnot. Um, there is history for this, a recent history of Porto winning the title at the Estadio de Luz, uh, mm. Benfica. The earliest ever Portuguese title win, Andre Villas Boas's side back in 2011, unbeaten season. They win 2 1 at Benfica to win the league. I was at I that game. I was yes. at that game and. Um, Benfica later claimed there'd been a power shortage in the stadium. Basically, as Porto celebrated on the pitch, they just turned the lights off in, in, in the stadium. It's enough Atletico like, Madrid, isn't it? Obviously, <laughs> people are still trying to get out of the ground and can't see where they're going. And anyway, the, the sort of reserve backup lights come on and all these sprinklers go off. And basically, all the Porto players start jumping so in like, like they're in the Thibeles fountain like they're Real Madrid players and they, they really make the most of it so I'm interested to see if Porto get the point there um, if they they do something similar now obviously if it's a title win it's all about the drinks really it's about um, beers and champagne so you just need a little prego a Portuguese steak sandwich on the side I, I know other soak up the booze other Porto wines are available but Mateus Rosé <laughs> you know you've got to go for that haven't you <laughs> yeah why not Football Ramble Presents is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.